This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Let's begin with the A-B to Ben connection that has not been connecting nearly enough. What's the reason? We can look at last game against Baltimore and say that Ben had a bad game. But I think to extend it beyond that game, I mean, the passing offense has not been as effective as it has been. But, again, just looking at Roethlisberger, he had a big game against Kansas City. So the narrative that says that he is not the same guy, I don't think we've seen enough to make that determination at this point. He did not have a good game against Cleveland. He had a big game against Kansas City. He had a good half against Tampa. Not much in the second half, and certainly not nearly good enough against Baltimore. Some people think that when you get to be Ben's age, 36, and you're in your 16th, 15th year in the league, that a guy's going to collapse. That's not necessarily the case. It can be just a little increment. Now, I don't know if that's happened to him or not, but it's not necessarily going to be the bottom falls out. I remember Andy Van Slyke of the Pirates telling me once, he came to spring training, he was about 35 then, 34, whatever it was, and he came to spring training, And the first time that he faced live pitching, only in batting practice, he noticed something different from the season before. He had lost something. His reflexes. Timing. Even in batting practice. And he knew that he was going to have to make adjustments. Happened over the winter. Season ended early October. This was late February. He knew. I don't know that we have enough evidence to suggest that that's happened to Ben. Remember a couple of years ago, he started off very poorly, but then picked it up. Remember, we were all saying, what's wrong with him? I believe it was 2016. What's wrong with him? Well, he picked it up later. What about A.B.? Has he lost something? You look at the coverage he's getting, and it doesn't seem to me to be much different. But then again, I'm going to suggest that it is. As we get to the answers of Bell, and it's not Artavis Bryant. It's just a deep threat. But I will say this, home games anyway, it's hard to tell on TV. Home games, in single coverage, he's not getting the separation that we're used to seeing him get. Now, that having been said, he was wide open on two very critical third-down conversion attempts in the third quarter, and Ben threw bad balls, missed him. He was open. So he has been getting open, not every time, but I think the issue is is he's beginning open, open as frequently as he has in the past. He's used to getting double teamed. 
and he's beaten that in the past. I mean, I've always remarked when he's catching 10, 11, 12 balls a game and he's going against double coverage, my thought has always been, how does he get open all the time? Well, he's still getting open, but it doesn't look like he's getting open by as much or as often. And when he has, when he has been open, Ben has missed him. And as we all know, at other times, he's thrown into coverage. That's why we played that interception from the Baltimore game. There were three guys around him. And remember, the same thing happening in the Cleveland game. No chance of completing that pass. Now, is that just because Ben is sort of conditioned to finding Antonio Brown? Understanding that getting the ball to A.B. is going to help the offense and help them win games? But you do often wonder, in the back of a quarterback's mind, I mean, he has a great deal of trust built up with him over the years, of course. But it also makes you wonder if he doesn't want to hear A.B. bitching about not getting the ball. Not a good circumstance. And as I said, I see him getting open, but maybe not as frequently as he has in the past. And maybe not by as wide a margin. What other factors? How about a new offensive coordinator? But the Steelers swear to a man that the offense, the structure of it, hasn't changed that much. Obviously, the play calling's different. It's a different human being making the calls. And we should add in that it is a, appears as though Ben is making more calls than he did under Todd Haley. We don't know the percentages, but that's what they said was going to happen. Ben has more latitude, maybe, than he's had in the past. So if you don't like the play calls, it's not always the offensive coordinator. But again, based on what we know, what we hear, whatever the Randy Feekner offense was going to be, it was going to be more favorable to Ben in the passing game. Maybe because they have to, because they haven't shown much of a running game. That's where Le'Veon Bell comes in. James Conner, by all accounts, except for the fumble in Cleveland, has done a good job. But anybody thinking that he's Le'Veon Bell or anything close to it was being foolish. He's not as multidimensional. And people are putting up the stats, not only in the running yards, but, and James Conner has caught X amount of passes for X amount of yards. He can catch the ball. But that is an entirely different narrative than saying, what does he do to a defense? They don't want to give up completions to anybody, but I assure you they're more than happy to give up a completion to James Conner than they are to Antonio Brown or a Juju Smith-Schuster. And when James Conner is lined up in the backfield or even split out, which he's done, that's not you mean doesn't mean you can ignore him, but he also doesn't represent the same threat, not only in the running game, but in the passing game. That's the issue. 
I've mentioned this before. A gentleman named Jeffrey, I believe it was Jeffrey, tweeted to the postgame show Sunday night, Sunday morning, actually. And he said, could it be that the Steelers miss Le'Veon Bell more in the passing game than they do the running game? Uh, I think that that was very astute. I said so at the time, and I believe it even more that I've had four or five days to think about it. It's not a matter of how many passes James Conner catches. It is a matter of how opposing defenses have to prepare for James Conner in the pass game versus how they used to prepare for Le'Veon Bell in the pass game. There's just not a comparison. In terms of the width and depth of what Bell's able to do in the pass game and the attention that an opposing defense has to pay to him. That's just the way it is. And again, it's not a slam at Connor. He's fine. But relatively speaking, he doesn't present the same kind of threat. The other element is Martavis Bryant. Now, let me specify, we're not talking about Martavis Bryant specifically. We're talking about someone like Martavis Bryant. The deep threat that can stretch a defense. Now, granted, Martavis, and I watched part of the Cleveland game against Oakland, and Martavis dropped a touchdown pass right in the end zone. I mean, it's just, and he had the defender beaten, which he can do. And Derek Carr's pass was so high, it came down with snow on it in Oakland, California. Martavis could have called a fair catch, and he dropped it. Now, he also made some other catches. One was tremendous. It was actually a combat catch, which you didn't see him do terribly often. But you had to pay attention to him. And I have talked forever about another threat, another weapon in the pass game. Now, Vance McDonald has shown some things, and he can be valuable. But he's not going to – you have to pay attention to him, but he's not going to take the top off. Now, James Washington doesn't possess near the kind of speed that Martavis has. But he can catch deep balls. They need him to progress. Now, I'm going to guess, I don't know how much they'll use him, I'm going to guess that because Darius Hayward Bay is probably going to be out and he's of no value on offense whatsoever, that Justin Hunter is going to dress. Now, how much they play him, uh, I don't know. If they go with a four-receiver set, generally it's Ryan Switzer, and he's fine. But he's kind of an inside slot guy, right? He's not going to scare anybody deep. And I think their receiving core is good enough to cause plenty of damage with what they have. But without Le'Veon Bell, that makes the absence of Martavis Bryant or some kind of speed guy even more apparent. Now, at some point, we had a guy like Sammy Coates. Remember Sammy Coates before he wrecked his hand? was catching some deep balls. The problem is, at a point, no matter how much of a threat you 
present, it's entirely possible that a defense will say, let him go, he's going to drop it anyway. And I hate to put this all on a rookie, but they need more out of James Washington. I think all those things come into play. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Well, Martavis is one of those kind of freaks that, that don't come around very often in terms of deep, deep field speed. Uh, we've had a Mike Wallace. You know, we'll kind of have one guy like that. But, um, you know, I think guys like Juju would probably argue with you that he's got the deep speed, and I think James would probably tell you the same thing. Uh, I think it really just comes down to me being able to get the ball to him when they're down the field. Well, one of the reasons we've discussed for a lack of the expected connections between Ben and Antonio Brown Uh, What are the reasons for that? Why hasn't it worked the first four games? And one of the four things that I outlined for you, and you've responded, we'll talk about that, uh, is the lack of a deep threat. Uh, Martavis Bryant wasn't always a guarantee uh, to catch the ball, but he did cause opposing defenses to wonder. We're joined now by Craig Wolfleague, of course, half of the Tunch and Wolf team. You hear him every day here from 10 until noon. And, of course, you hear Wolf on the sideline during all Steelers games. How you doing, Wolf? Thanks for joining me. How you doing, Stan? It's good to be with you, my friend. Uh, thank you. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the Bend-A-B connection's not been what it was. And I kind of laid out four things. Um, it, it, Ben's been off, but has he lost something? Has A-B lost something? Has Le'Veon Bell's absence meant more actually negatively to the passing game and the run game, or is the lack of a deep threat hurting the offense overall, forcing teams to at least deal with a guy like Martavis? You know, it's interesting because those are all viable um, things we've been kind of kicking around, and you really try to look at them one by one and see, you know, what exactly is going on. I think there's something to the fact that there was no preseason because if you look at Le'Veon Bell, he had no preseason. It took him three, actually four and five weeks to be able to ramp up to being Le'Veon Bell that we knew. Uh, so without Ben taking much of a preseason and Antonio not having any, I think that has some merits to it, but not entirely. doesn't explain it. Is he getting extra coverage? Not really. It's nothing more than, than what we've seen. Um, is is there some sort of undisclosed injury? Every time I see him, he don't he doesn't look like he's holding back or he's he's having any extra issues with any certain body parts, any hammies, anything like that. Are you talking about so, AB? Are you talking about AB Wolf? Yes, okay. AB. Okay, you know, so I mean, he's there, there's a doesn't look to me like anything's you know wrong with him physically, and so I look at it. And I, I hear Ben say, you know, um, you know what? I just got to do a better job of getting them ball. Now, you know, Occam's razor is when you peel away everything else and the most, the easiest, most basic elemental truth, elemental truth is probably it. I think that Ben has just been a little bit in and out, up and down, and, and A.B. also. Remember that so much of their ability has been generated by their years together and Ben knowing that A.B. has a penchant for breaking some routes off. And I think maybe when you don't work together a whole lot in ramping up to the season – you might have to pull back from some of the freelance aspects that thousands of repetitions bring, that little mental telepathy going on between A.B. and Ben. And I think maybe you've got to get a little more basic, which is what I think they've been doing and why he's sporting a 9.4 average per catch. You know, slants, uh, uh, crossing routes, uh, the now routes, the 
bubble screens, things like that, just to get some sort of connection between Ben and A.B. and get it going. Uh, you know, uh, A.B. did not have much of a training camp. I mean, he was there, but he had some leg issues, and they held him out. Um, and, and, you know, the, really, they hardly played at all in the preseason. Uh, it's, it's a fine line, as Bill Carr would say, um, between how much you play them and how much you don't want to expose them. Um, is this sort of an advertisement for playing them not extensively, but a bit more in preseason action, not just them, but everybody. I mean, you guys in the, you know, the, the second to last preseason game, as I recall, uh, Chuck Knoll would play you a good three quarters. Uh, frankly, uh, their godfather, we uh, played three quarters in the last game. The last game, okay. Yeah. We ramped up each preseason game, so we were coming to the point where we were playing three quarters in the, actually into the fourth sometimes in the fourth preseason game. Matter of fact, in one game we were done before halftime and Chuck wanted to win the game versus the Giants, so he all of a sudden put us in the middle of fourth quarter against a bunch of fourth stringers who wouldn't be there. And Yes, we did pull off the quote-unquote victory, but <laughs> you know, that was a real straw man victory if there ever was one. Uh, so you know, I do believe that the, the CBA has done a, a little bit of damage to the players in the sense trying to alleviate them and protect them from injury has also created a situation where, you know, you've, you've got this situation where you're, you're so afraid of guys getting hurt and because you draw back on the, on the hitting, it also makes guys more exposed or vulnerable to injury because you're not exposed to the forces that you're going to encounter during the season. Examining Ben Roethlisberger in particular, uh, and I remember it was two years ago, I believe, maybe it was 15, maybe I think it was 16, he started off very poorly, and everybody was asking, what's wrong with him? Um, so we've seen that before, and I thought, well, look, you know, there comes a time, you know, you're 36 now, you never know, you just, even, even a slight uh, downturn can be uh, fairly evident, but then I think uh, of the Kansas City game. Now, granted, they're down 21 nothing. He's got to throw the ball all over the place. But, you know, he certainly was very productive there, which leads me to believe that in terms of uh, his ability, um, and we all start to lose it after a while, but in terms of ability or arm strength, that doesn't appear to be the issue. I think you're exactly correct. Look, he didn't lose anything from the Chiefs game to two weeks later. Um, and, and quite frankly, with the way things are, I, if, if the, the – the one most obvious answer happens to be Ben's been a little bit off here and there. I'm glad. I'm glad that's the answer because I've watched, I've had the privilege, privilege, privilege of watching every single one of his games in person. And I know this guy can always bring it together. That's one of the things that makes him such a great, great quarterback and why he's a franchise quarterback and why franchise quarterbacks are so rare. Look, standing in the huddle with Terry Bradshaw, even at the end of his career in 83 when we were in Shea Stadium and it was final game, there was magic. There was always magic in the ability you knew this guy might just pull a rabbit out of his hat and do something awesome, which he did on his last day when we were going to run the ball and he ended up throwing a couple of touchdown passes before he finally blew out his elbow for good. The beauty of it is you never think you're out of the game. You always believe you got a puncher's chance of being able to pull off the victory when you're in the huddle with a guy like the blonde bomber, or you got number seven in there. And you look at those offensive linemen, when they're in the huddle with that guy, they rally around him, the rest of the guys rally around him, 
And I truly believe that if you have to have a problem that, well, one guy's just a little bit off, he isn't, you know, sometimes he's, he's hotter than others, then I'm glad it's him because I've known this guy to always be able to ramp up and get himself together and play great when he needed to. Yeah, probably lead to on Sunday, that's for sure. Um, yes. Let, let's talk about the elephant um, or the bell not in the room. Uh, clearly, when you lose the guy who's best at his position in the entire league, um, there's going to be a consequence. And this is not meant as a slam to James Conner, um, but he's not Le'Veon Bell. And, and aside from what he brings, um, I'm wondering about, again, talking about the passing game overall and, again, getting back to our – uh, central theme wolf of Ben to AB. Uh, how somebody tweeted to me in the post game show after the game on Sunday night. Um, isn't it possible that the Steelers are feeling Bell's absence more in the pass game than the run game? And you think about you know what he does in the pass game. Even when you split him out wide, he's not there just for checkdowns and 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 passes in the flat. He's in the pass pattern. Do you think that at all is a factor? in the con- lack of connection between Ben and A.B.? Well, I believe this has merit, too, in the discussion, because if you look at it, think about when you had Mark Davis, when you had A.B., and when you had uh, Le'Veon. Now, if you design route patterns that, that really work off of each other, with one guy able to stretch the top end of the defense, another guy to stretch the bottom end, and, and A.B. to work the middle, they're all making windows and creating windows for each other that are really sort of very fluid. You never know how much the safety is going to cheat over the top when he sees Martavis out there with single man, and, and he's got to you know, move over there. All right, You don't know when you've got the, a pattern where you've got A.B. maybe slanting over the middle, and then in the area vacated by A.B., the possibility of Lev Bell coming underneath there. It all requires a lot more attention and detail when you have such superb performers that you're able to put out there. So I think it does have merit. But having said that, you also look at Martavis. Martavis wasn't Martavis last year. And a lot of that was reputation. So you still have on your on your squad, you've got DHB, who is still, uh, by anybody's GPS tracking device, still the fastest guy on that Steelers team. You still have Justin Hunter, who's capable. And I think he's got to come up and start playing a role in this stuff, too. But at the same time, James Conner has been doing very yeoman's work. He runs the pass patterns. He's catching the ball. He's picking up blitzes. Is he Le'Veon Bell? No, he's not Le'Veon Bell yet. But this is just James Conner's second year. And Lev Bell really wasn't Lev Bell until a couple years into his career. So I think, you know, having said all this, would you love Lev back? Yes. You know, I mean, he's a superb performer, and you'd love to see him back with the boys. But at the same time, you can only play with the guys you got. And that gives you some pretty good players, and the, the, having Vance McDonald be a guy who suddenly is showing now all that they thought about him coming to fruition, I look forward to that. Last thing for you, Wolf. Um, we know that there's been a lot of drama. Uh, I don't know about turmoil, but there's been a lot of drama. Uh, as a former ball player yourself, um, do you think that their one, two, and one start, um, disappointing to everyone, uh, that the turmoil, all the things that go on with them in any way, shape, or form has affected their play? You know, I, I, I look at that, and, and it's hard because if you're not sitting inside those four walls of the locker room with the doors closed and it's just family, you know, it's just you guys, 
then you know what the truth is. Uh, when you're on the outside, you look in and you think, well, you know, you can overread a lot of situations. You might not be able to read the room correctly, you know, so to speak. I look at it and I and I, I simply think there's there's probably some, but I don't see it as being the big problem that a lot of people do because you got a strong core of leadership and you got people in there. Now, again, without being one of those guys in the four walls, closed doors, just family. Um, I, I can't say with 100% accuracy, but I do believe this team has been through enough that you kind of weather the storms and you get used to the storms. Do you expect them to weather this storm? I mean, they're still a viable playoff contending team. No question in my mind. No question in my mind. Listen, you can get up off the ground, get up off the dust. Again, you know, we've talked about the 89-02, 51 to nothing, 42 to 10. Uh, to Cincinnati, but you know what? It still comes down to, and as Coach Noel said so well way back in 1989, every question that you have to everything going out on the field is within those four walls of the locker room. Understand there's nobody riding in from the east to be able to save you. It's got to be answered by every man in that locker room, and I still believe those words today. All right. Well, uh, as they say... Um, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life, and Sunday <laughs> will <laughs> will uh, will be the first day of the rest of the season. Um, no time uh, left, really, to get this thing turned around. It's got to no. begin on Sunday. Well, thank you so much again, Craig and uh, Tunch. Uh, it's weekday ten. Uh, excuse me, uh, ten until noon. Um, then I come in and um, uh, destroy whatever they've built up. Uh, and then you'll hear Wolf, right, boy. Uh, <laughs> we'll hear what, uh, what Wolf has to say on the sideline Sunday. Wolf, thanks so much. I'll see you in the building. It's always a pleasure and an honor to hang out with you, Stan. Thank uh, you, buddy. All right, thanks, Craig. Uh, Craig Wolfley. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Le'Veon's a player, and he's part of this, he's part of this team whether you like it or not, and both sides got to be a part of that when he does come back. Um, I'm not saying uh, one side is at fault and the other isn't. I think both sides, you know, need to just grow up and play football. You know, we all got to we, – we, we all can't be mad about spilt milk the whole time. That is Steeler defensive end Cam Hayward talking about Le'Veon Bell and his possible return, uh, and this all came – it was never very far below the surface – but the pot boiled over uh, based on the reporting of our next guest, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, joins us now on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. Jeremy, how you doing? Thanks for being with us. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, how did this all start with Le'Veon Bell? Did you just make a random phone call to him? Uh, well, you know, just uh, had developed a relationship over the last few years of covering him. And so, uh, you know, he, he had gone dark for a couple months, but... Tried giving him a ring uh, Monday, and and he picked up. So it, it, I think he was just at a point where he was ready to talk a little bit um, after a, a extended uh, absence from most social media and and overall media activities. Jeremy, did he explain to you why uh, why now? And by now, I mean the bye week. So no, because uh, you know he. It, 
in during the interview, you know, he he didn't want to say exactly which date or, or which week he was coming in. He said uh, that he wouldn't. You know, he he fully intends to play this year, which means he knows he has to be here by week eleven. So he was going off of that. Um, but he he hint, he basically uh, strongly hinted that uh, the results of the last four weeks and watching the Steelers that have been difficult, painful to watch, um, and that that's you know drawing him back perhaps sooner than than he even expected. And, uh, you know, I think the Earl, from what he had said, the Earl Thomas leg injury affected him. You know, they're, they're friends, and I think they, they almost felt like they were in this together a little bit. And, you know, as you know, Earl Thomas held out of camp, and um, they're trying to fight for player rights. And then, of course, Earl gets hurt. So, uh, you know, Bell figured, hey, that could have been me. And that, that, that sort of confirmed his uh, – confirmed that in his mind he made the right decision to sit out. But, you know, he, he's now starting to feel like it's time sooner than later to get back. We've gotten several tweets uh, in advance of knowing that you would be on the show today and understanding that you had a conversation uh, with him. Uh, if he's that concerned um, about the plight of the Steelers, then why not report yesterday and help him out as quickly as he possibly can? Well, you know, I think, um, and, you know, he wouldn't speak directly to this, but, uh, you know, the. Uh, if he is back for the bye week, that would that would help him, uh, you know, get get a full practice slate in, um, and, and to be able to kind of warm up a little a little more quickly. Uh, now, I guess you know, if he came now, he could do that, then they could put him on a roster exemption and keep him out for a, a few weeks if you need to. But yeah, you know, I, I really think some of this is is business related. You know, you got to make sure you show up at the right time in case they don't want to pay you for two weeks on that exemption. Um, you know, there's probably some jockeying and positioning going on in that case. Uh, with his agent and the team, perhaps whether they've been in contact or not, you know. Um, but it's 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 really a business decision first and foremost in that regard. Um, so I, I think you know indications are that that he was willing to wait up until week 11 before coming back, but that he's now moved that up and probably needs maybe a few more weeks on his own to train. Jeremy, do you think that I mean actually him coming back in the bye week is perhaps sooner than most expected? Do you think that that sort of legitimizes his concern um, over the plight of the team? Because I don't think anybody, I think everybody expected week 10, 11, you know, whatever it was. This is actually sooner than most people anticipated. Do you think that that validates he's coming back because of his concern over what's happened to them? Yeah, I mean, he did say that's part of it without without him specifically laying out, you know, the week he was coming on the record. But he, he did say uh, that, um, you know, it, it's, it's been tough to watch in the sense that, you know, he feels like he can be the missing piece. And so, you know, he hinted that he's ready to come back sooner and later as a result of that. Uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, who broke this story about Le'Veon Bell returning, <clears throat> pardon me, at the bye week. I'm going to assume that uh, when we say the bye week, he will be coming in the uh, that week, the week of the bye, meaning right after the Cincinnati game? Yeah, that's. That's the plan. Now, there's a you know, I mean, it, it's his it's his plan, so he could certainly uh, change his mind, you know. But from from what I'm told, he's going to get ready for that uh, that Browns game week eight. So, you know, what day he comes, whether it's week seven or, or early in week eight, is is still uh, up to him. But the, but the plan is certainly to use that two week period uh, to to kind of get back in the swing of things and, and utilize some extra practice. You know, I'm interested um, in his comments about. He still hasn't given up on the idea of signing long-term. 
um, there are so many options available to the Steelers, and that's why it seems to me, uh, looking at the team side of this, uh, that it, 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 we've talked about whether or not, uh, they, based on what their record is at the time of the bye, if they're 1-4-1, one, one, uh, I, I don't care who he is, he's probably not going to help them make the playoffs, but they do have options with him after the season is over, if not necessarily to keep him, then to put the transition tag on him, he can go then work out a deal. They can match it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, does he really believe that they still have an opportunity to work on a long-term deal? He does. He, and I tried to press him on that because it looks like a bitter divorce right now. So why should anyone believe otherwise? And, and he basically said that maybe I'm naive or hopeful, but I, you know, I think they don't want me gone yet. And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, in the offseason, they're still going to have his rights. And if they do transition, tag him, uh, another team can make an offer. They can match that offer. Of course, they could trade him as well. Right. And work that out as a sign and trade. And, and, you know, it, it seems to be maybe trending in that direction, especially as they've been exploring a trade the last few weeks. But, um, I mean, look, if somebody makes an offer that's not huge or that's palatable for the Steelers and they want to match it, that would make sense. So if he comes back and, and everything is well and they win games with him, he just there's a lot that can play out still. Did you ask him at all about um, what his agent said uh, about not you know, wanting to put himself on the line to risk a big payday for 2019 and beyond, um, or what James Harrison had to say about, and this is counter to, you know, he's always uh, when available when his knees weren't ripped up. I mean, he plays, and he plays hard. Did you ask him about that? Well, I, you know, I don't want to carry too much, or uh, my hamstring hurts, I can't make it this week? Well, we, we didn't get into, like, a pitch count or faking injuries, but we did get into uh, him resuming his normal workload, his intentions when he is here. Uh, and he said that he's fully, once he arrives, that he'll be fully committed, and he wants to be his normal self, you know, um, he wasn't much concerned about an exact total of touches, but, you know, he said uh, yeah, he wants to help them win games, and that will be uh, the primary goal when he gets here. And, you know, and his agent saying that uh, that uh, this, he wanted to know what the Steelers' plan was or at least asked openly what their plan was on a radio show week one. I asked him a little bit about that. And he, he couldn't speak for his agent, but he did say that, uh, you know, the plan was more about concerning what the team is going to do with his rights uh, and also, you know, what the chances are still of a long-term deal at this point when they have a chance to negotiate again. Jeremy, not only because you talk to Le'Veon Bell, but you also cover the Steelers uh, virtually on a daily basis. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you get a sense um, of how the organization feels about him, not what they'll do with him, um, but uh, how do they feel about him? And maybe secondarily, and I realize the players uh, come back to work today, uh, have you, since you broke this story, um, have you talked to players about how they might accept him if indeed he comes back? Well, we've, uh, it, we're going to actually, they're about to practice, so I'll get a chance to speak with more players this afternoon. There weren't a, a ton of guys in the locker room, but the, you know, the sense I've gotten recently is, uh, really over the weeks, because this has been a topic that's been ongoing, is, um, you know, players will welcome him back with, with minimal issues for the most part, as long as he comes back ready to work, uh, which which he always has done. And, uh, you know, Gardner Moon Foster, who is one of the most vocal about Bell, and I spoke with him recently, he said, you know, us venting in week one and, and ripping him had nothing to do with 
us not wanting him back. Uh, we always wanted him back and welcome him back. It's just the emotions uh, were pretty raw. And, you know, as for the organization, um, I mean, they've, they've stood by him throughout this. They haven't ripped him. I, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, they know he's a great player, um, and they know he works hard. Now, you know, he's had the suspensions, and he's had the injuries. I do think those two things played into the negotiations, uh, and perhaps that's, that has something to do with, with the guaranteed money that they weren't willing to offer. Hmm. Going back to your conversation with Bell, was that the issue, not the total amount? And it also should be debunked um, that the contract deadline with him and the Steelers was July 16th. Um, Todd Gurley didn't sign his deal uh, until early August, so he couldn't have known what that might be. But was that the big issue, not the total amount, but the amount that was guaranteed? Correct, yeah. He said the only true guarantee was the $17 million. Now, I think they had easily reached uh, you know, pseudo-guarantees in the first year or two because they wouldn't cut them because of cap purposes. But, yeah, he said the only true guarantee was 17, which, you know, you see David Johnson, um, Todd Gurley on, on even three to, you know, even David Johnson on a three-year deal got 30-plus million guaranteed. So that, that's sort of Bell's beef. As you look at both, both sides here, what do you think is the most likely uh, conclusion to this, at least for this year? Uh, it, I just examining all the options – it seemed even if even if this year's not salvageable, and let's say they're one four and one, um, would the Steelers be better just hanging on to them so they could at least put the transition tag, which might give them more of a likelihood, if not to sign them long term, than to get a better return in a trade, even a third rounder, which would be in 2019, as opposed to a compensatory pick, which would be 2020, and that comes at the end of the third round. Well, Stan, you, you basically laid out every scenario there, my man, and I think, they, I think the team has gone into <laughs> all of that. I think, they, I think they've weighed all that options. I think the third-round pick, the compensatory pick, is the floor in any trade. And so that's the issue with trading them now is that, um, you know, a team giving up a second-round pick or more for a rental player that you can't negotiate with right now unless you've rescinded the tag and then negotiated. But I don't think that's savory with the NFLPA in the true uh, letter of the franchise tag law. And so – um, it's complicated that way, but you know, they I mean, look. He's a he's a great player, and I think that that's why uh, I could still see them holding on to him despite all this, because they know Bell was exercising his position right now as an unsigned player. They had to have known that this was possible when they when they decided uh, that they couldn't get a long term deal done. But do you think that they were operating under the assumption that he would do as he said, would do just exactly what he did last year? and that when he didn't show up on that Labor Day before the first game, that they were truly taken aback by that? Uh, yes, I, I think everybody expected him to, but Bell's argument is, you know, I never formally told anybody with the team, players or coaches or GMs, that I would be here. They still don't know when I'm going to be here. So, um, you know, that's uh, – he said that's not his fault, that, that they don't know that, you know. So he's, uh, I think that that's a little bit of the rift is that he felt that they assumed – too much um, based on him being an unsigned player. Last thing for you, Jeremy, and I really appreciate your time today. Uh, as far as the rust factor, there's bound to be some, and <clears throat> him getting out of shape, uh, are the Steelers in a better position? Uh, because, you know, a year ago, they didn't know what they had in James Conner, um, and he had some issues. He's improved on some. My point is that when, uh, if and when Bell comes back, 
he wouldn't have to have 30 touches a game because they can utilize Connor um, and sort of ease Bell back into it, where when he came back against Cleveland last year, he was all in. He was full in. Yeah, I think there's there's some of that. I mean, you know, if if Bell gets going and, and if he thrives off touches, I don't think they're going to limit him to, say, 10 or 15 touches a game because of Connor. Uh, now, Connor will have a more prominent number two back role, and you know, he's proven himself, even though the, the rushing yards haven't been there of late, they like overall what he's doing. And so, yeah, but I don't think it's going to be too complicated. Assuming Bell's in the, the shape that he had been in in the past, I think that's the big thing. And Tomlin has stressed that. Number one, Bell has to get here. Number two, what kind of shape is he in? So if he looks good and gets himself football ready in, in a hurry, then uh, I think they'll be uh, off and running that way. All right, great stuff. Congratulations on the scoop. Uh, that certainly has been the Number one topic of conversation, thanks to you and good reporting. Appreciate the time, Jeremy. Thanks very much. See you Sunday at the game. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Dan. All right, Jeremy. That's Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, um, the Le'Veon Bell story. Again, Lucy and the football pulling away from Charlie Brown. Um, I don't know. The Mojinator says, I think if Bell does show up and – the Steelers win either against Atlanta or Cincinnati, then you have to play them because we would still have hope. Also, in a perfect world, we'd keep them next year as only, but only time will tell. I, uh, I think that's I, – I don't know. Um, I don't know. I hope that answered a lot of questions. Maybe it even created more.